This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We'll be focusing this morning on Numbers chapter 20, the account of Moses becoming angry with the Israelites, losing his temper, and the consequences that followed. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam, that's Moses' sister, died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. These were the waters of Meribah, where that means quarreling, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he proved holy among them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for gathering us here to hear your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would lead us to follow you, and that nothing I would say would get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Have you seen the movie Inside Out, that Disney movie? Anyone see that movie? It's got to be one of my favorite Disney movies, It tells the story of a young girl, Riley, and her family that are moving from Minnesota to California. But what makes this movie interesting is that the whole story is told from the perspective of her emotions that are in her brain. And these emotions are personified. And so first of all, you have fear. And and fear is kind of a, he's got this bow tie and this this kind of sweater and he's kind of a statistician. He's always on the lookout for what could go wrong and and he helps Riley uh, avoid danger. He he sees danger at every corner. And then you have disgust. 
you know, disgust is green. She's got these, these eyelashes and she's got her makeup on and she helps Riley from lowering her standards. She keeps her having high standards. Right? She's always on the lookout for things that, to be disgusted by. And then you have the emotion, sadness. Sadness is this blue, mopey character. And sadness's purpose is to help her process her grieving, help her process the losses of moving from Minnesota to California. And then you have joy, and joy's the life of the party, right? Joy's yellow and bright and helps her delight in all of her experiences, seeing the good things in her experiences. And then finally, you have anger. And anger serves a purpose. Anger helps Riley identify when something is not wrong or something is wrong, something is not right, something is is not the way it's supposed to be. There's an injustice. There's something that's not the way it's supposed to be. And see, one of the, the messages of this movie is that all of our emotions have a purpose. We would say as Christians that all our emotions serve a God-given purpose, even anger. Even the Lord God got angry when the Israelites committed idolatry, worshiping the golden calf, breaking that first commandment, sinning and and ruining their lives. He was righteously angry about that. Or, Or Jesus, who overturned the tables in the temple courts because the people were using God's place of worship as a, as a market to take advantage of people. And yet, there's a reason this movie describes anger with fire coming out of his head. Almost as demon-looking, red, fiery creature. It's interesting that it's compared to fire. You know, fire is, is a good thing as long as it's kept in the fireplace. But if you stoke that fire and the fire gets outside of that designated spot, it can burn your house down. I felt that this week. Pastor Bill kind of have a, us and I, we have, we have this joke that, that um, whatever emotion that we're preaching on, that's the one that we've been tested on that week. I didn't think I really struggled with anger until I started actually thinking about what anger was and, and the challenges. And, and I thought about that this last week. I thought, you know, something happened. I felt something was getting undermined and, and I felt angry out of nowhere. I just, I felt this anger. And I was planning our, our men's mentoring retreat uh, for next year. And I was trying to talk to the person on the phone and they kept on sending me to different places, sending me to voicemail, getting my information right, wrong. And, and I think, wow, what is this feeling? This, this anger that's welling up inside of me. And I started to think, this is dangerous. If you give in to the anger, if you let that fester and you let that, that grow, this could burn your whole life down. And you probably know that. If you, if you look back on your life and you think about maybe the friendships that have been severed, maybe that time you got demoted or maybe even fired from work, or maybe it ruined your marriage or maybe even led to a divorce, you could probably go back and see how anger was a part of that. That anger is such a strong emotion. It kind of blinds us from from logic, from reason. It, It can really destroy us. As Pastor Bill mentioned, we're continuing this sermon series, Emotions Dealing with Feelings. And today we're going to focus on anger. And here's the question I want to answer. Why might anger be so dangerous? What is it about this emotion that can be so dangerous? 
And to answer that question, we're going to go back to Numbers chapter 20, the story of Moses. Now, I don't know how many of you know about the the story of Moses. Moses is one of the most important characters in the history of of the Bible, in the history of the world, really. It's Moses who laid down the foundation of the Bible. The whole rest of the Bible is judged based on what Moses wrote in the first five books of the Bible. Moses' life is pretty interesting. You can break it up into three 40-year chunks. Moses was born uh, in Egypt and he was laid in the Nile River actually as a a way to protect him. And he was picked up by by Pharaoh's daughter. And he was raised those first 40 years of his life in Egypt, in Pharaoh's household. But then he saw one of his fellow countrymen, another Jew being mistreated by an Egyptian. And he was filled with anger, filled with rage, not thinking rationally. And he killed the Egyptian. And when this was found out, he had to flee into exile. And so he spent the next 40 years of his life in the wilderness, where he'd be leading the children of Israel. He spent that time as a shepherd in the wilderness, probably thinking his life was over. But then, at 80 years old, he was called by God to spend the next 40 years leading the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery and into the promised land. Now, the reason they didn't go directly into the promised land was because of that first generation that left out of Egypt rebelled against God. Uh, They showed a lack of faith. They, They rebelled against God. And so that first generation that came out of Egyptian slavery spent the next 40 years in the wilderness where they all died in the wilderness. And that's where our text picks up. It's been 40 years in the wilderness. That first generation has died and Moses is now 120 years old. And so let's pick up our text. In the first month, that's the first month of this 40th year in the wilderness. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived in the desert of Zin and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Miriam was Moses' sister, part of that first generation that died in the wilderness. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you, Moses, bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? that we and our livestock should die here. Why did you, Moses, bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now, if you've been reading uh, the whole Old Testament kind of in order, this would sound familiar because this exact same situation happened way back in Exodus chapter 17. See, right when Moses led that first generation, when he was about 80 years old, 40 years earlier, he led that, 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 that group of people out of Egyptian slavery. Right when they got into the wilderness, the exact same thing happened. They couldn't find water or food and they started to blame Moses. They said the exact same words. Uh, Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? Why did you lead us out here? Why did you bring us to this place today? There's no water. We would have been better staying back in slavery. And now 40 years later, this next generation is making the same mistake. 
is saying the exact same things against Moses, blaming all of their problems on Moses, forgetting that they asked to come out of Egyptian slavery, forgetting that this kind of attitude ruined their parents' lives, and yet they're doing the exact same thing. Now, if you're Moses and you saw this happen in their parents and now you're leading their children and they're falling to the same kind of unbelief, how are you feeling? You're angry, right? You're angry. You can't believe this injustice, this evil, this wickedness, this really stupidity to to follow in the footsteps of your parents who made these exact same mistakes. This is what kept them out of the promised land the first time and they're doing the same thing. But in his anger, Moses right here does the best thing that you could do. It says in verse six, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly, from these people who were grumbling, to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The best thing that they could do, leave that assembly, leave those people who were blaming them for all their problems and, and, and quarreling with them and causing them all sorts of grief, leave that situation and go into the holy presence of God. It's the best thing that they could have done. They didn't retaliate right away. They didn't didn't try to get vengeance. They didn't try to justify themselves. They didn't try to argue with them. They just left the assembly and went into the presence of the Lord. And while they were in the presence of the Lord, the Lord spoke to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now, again, if you read Exodus chapter 17, you would say this sounds very familiar because God said basically the same thing 40 years ago to Moses with the previous generation. God said, take the staff, gather the people in front of the rock, except on that occurrence 40 years earlier, God told Moses to strike the rock. But did you hear it? This time, what did he say? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. So let's see what happens. Verse nine. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. So far, so good. God said, take the staff. He took the staff. Verse 10. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. Again, so far, so good. God said, gather the assembly in front of the rock. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly in front of the rock. But then we read, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now that anger that was that they, they had that identified that problem. Anger, you know, it's a good emotion to identify something's not right here. Uh, there's an injustice. There's something wrong. Anger is good at identifying the problem. Anger is not good at motivating you into action. And now Moses was letting anger get outside the fireplace and it's starting to burn his whole house down. It's, it's, starting, to, it's starting to motivate him. Now he's calling the nation of Israel, he's calling them names. He's not calling them the the people of God, God's chosen people, the, the children of Israel. No, he's calling them rebels. 
And because he's motivated by anger, this is what he says next. He took it personally that they were personally attacking him. And so he responds personally. He says, must we bring you water out of this rock? Wait a second, Moses. Who's bringing the water out of the rock? Who's in control here? You see, Moses is so blinded by his anger. He took it so personally, which is usually what happens with anger. We, We take something personally. We find it as a personal attack. And so we want personal revenge. We want them to feel the pain that we feel. I mean, anger just kind of burns inside of your stomach. And, and it's so powerful. It's so blinding. We don't even think about what we're doing. We take something personal and we lash out personally. And then finally, verse 11, then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Remember what God said? Just speak to the rock. But in his anger, his blinding anger, he, he strikes the rock as if to say, I'm taking this person, I'm going to take it out on you personally. Look at what I'm going to do. Fear me. You guys got angry with me. I'm angry with you. And what happened? Now, now we might look at this and think, oh, he just struck a rock and said, speak to rock. What's the big deal? But God understands what's going on inside of Moses' heart. This is a big deal. And the Lord explains what anger is really doing inside of Moses' heart. We read verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Notice he doesn't blame him for being angry. He had a reason to be angry. He says, but your anger blinded you from me. Because your anger, you did not trust me. You did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in front of the Israelites. Uh, anger was this blinding um, emotion that, that stopped him from being connected to God in trust, to honoring God as holy, to see God's holiness, which means his goodness, that God was still good. And then anger, he forgot that God was still just. God was going to do the right thing. God was going to bring justice. God was going to discipline the Israelites. It wasn't up to him. He didn't need to take it personally, but in his anger, Moses was blinded from all of that. And because of his lack of trust, because of what anger led him to do, he didn't enter the promised land. It wasn't just a problem that Moses had with the people. Now it was a problem that he had with God. So this helps us answer our opening question. Why might anger be so dangerous? Because anger blinds us from the holiness of God. When we're angry, when we take something personal, we're forgetting about God and his goodness. We're forgetting that God is just, that that God will fight our battles, that God will bring justice. We're forgetting that God is going to work out everything for our good, even this really difficult situation, this unrighteousness, this, this, this thing that's going wrong. And in our anger, we're blinded to all that. We forget about God. It's such a powerful emotion. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you, you slam your, your finger with a hammer. All you can think about is your finger, right? You can't think about anything else. And that anger, it's, it's in your belly. You can feel it. Your, you know, your, your chest gets tightened up and it's so powerful. All you think about is your anger. All you think about is that strong emotion and you forget about God. 
You forget about his goodness. You forget about his holiness. You forget about who he is. And we know that because usually it leads us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. And when we do those things, you know, it ruins our relationships, ruins our marriages, ruins our friendships. Remember, maybe it ruins our, our activity at work, ruins our job. But what we see here, ultimately, it can ruin our relationship with God. It was the things that anger led Moses to do that kept Moses from entering the promised land. Think about that. After leading these people for 40 years, faithfully leading them for 40 years, he's 120 years, he's right on the edge of the promised land because of his lack of faith, because anger led him to doubt God and did not trust God as holy, Moses was not able to enter the promised land. And that's the worst thing about anger. If you give in to anger and you let anger be your driving force, it will drown out everything else in your heart until not even God is there. Anger kept Moses from entering the promised land. It could do the same for you. So is there any hope? Is there any hope even in this text? Well, Look at what it says in the last verse of our reading, verse 13. These were the waters of Meribah. It's a word that means quarreling. So God changed the name of this, this location. Remember the quarreling. Where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. So we hear at the end of this reading that, that their quarreling was not actually at Moses. Moses didn't need to take this personally. Although they were talking to Moses, ultimately all sin is against God. We don't need to take things personally because sin is not against us. Sin is against God. And what those Israelites deserved from God was his wrath. But God proved himself to be holy. Again, what does holiness mean? Holiness means his goodness and his justice. And so he showed his justice by giving consequences to Moses. He would not enter this temporary promised land and yet he would be with the Lord and we will see him on the last day. And yet he also showed his goodness and his grace. Did you hear that? Even though Moses did everything wrong in this situation, water still came out from the rock. In fact, it said an abundance of water still came out from the rock. And all the people in their livestock had plenty to drink. See, when we think about the ways that anger has blown up our lives and blown up our relationships and blinded us from the holiness of God, what we deserve right now is the wrath of God. His righteous wrath, his, his righteous anger, his justice. We know what that's like. If we see somebody commit an injustice, we know that they deserve to be punished. Well, that is us. But instead of pouring out his wrath on us, he poured it out on his son. And Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me, but I give it up. Jesus wanted to be the person who would receive all the wrath of God, all the consequences for all of our anger, so that he could give you all of his peace. 
God has proved himself holy once again at Calvary, at the cross, at the tomb. And he pours out the abundant water of his forgiveness on you. The water's your baptism at the Lord's Supper. Every time you open up the scriptures, God has chosen to not treat you and I as we deserve. Just like he didn't treat the Israelites as they deserved and he treated them with grace and forgiveness, he has not treated us as we deserve. I pray that today we would repent of our anger and all the things that our anger has caused and receive God's abundant grace. But maybe you're still thinking, but pastor, I still have this anger issue going on. I still struggle. I'm still angry. Right now I'm angry, pastor. How do I extinguish the anger? Well, I think our reading teaches us this. Extinguish your anger in the holiness of God. What does that mean? Remember the best thing that, that Moses and Aaron did is that when they were in that situation and they, the assembly was quarreling against them and blaming them, they left the assembly, they left that situation and went into the holy presence of God. And that's the best thing we can do with our anger. Let me ask you, if you're really struggling with anger, have you continued to make worship a priority to come here in the holy presence of God as we gather before his word? Are, are, are you opening up the scriptures every day to stand before the holy presence of God? Are you, are you calling out in prayer to be in the holy presence of God? Because when we walk away from the holy presence of God, we forget his goodness. We forget his justice. We forget that he's in charge. But when we gather here, like we're doing right now, when we gather here and worship and praise him and hear his word and, and receive his sacrament, do all these things, we gather in the holy presence of God, we remember that God is good and he is in charge and he's gonna right every wrong. He's gonna do all that is right, all that is good. Paul talks about that. What's like when we live in the holy presence of God, when we, when we let his, his holy presence extinguish our anger. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Or we could say this, do not be overcome by anger, but overcome anger with good. What does that look like practically? Well, let's say you're at work and you feel like, your job is getting, they're undermining your work or, or someone is speaking bad about you or you're not being recognized and you think this is an injustice, this is not right. Well, you might go talk to your supervisor or to that person you're struggling with. You might go talk to them, but you're not gonna get revenge. There's no room for revenge. Leave room for God to bring about justice. Know that God is gonna use all things for your good. Stand in the holy good presence of God. Or let's say you're in a relationship right now. You're, maybe you're even in an abusive relationship and you're filled with so much anger and shame and, and you got all these really hard emotions. You might need to step away from that relationship. You might need to create some distance. You might need to walk away. 
but you don't need to get revenge. You don't need to hold on to the anger. Leave room for God to avenge you. Leave room for God's justice. Leave room for God's goodness. Don't be overcome by anger. Overcome anger with good. Maybe uh, you're parenting your children. I don't care if they're three years old or, or eight years old or, or 15 or 25 or whatever age your children are and they continue to do the same thing and you take it personally. You think it's all about you. It's all about your parenting. It's all about, and you get so angry. Do not retaliate in anger. You will do things. You will yell at your kids, maybe even hit your kids and you'll regret it. Don't let anger be a motivating force in your parenting. You might need to, to give them consequences. You might need to um, let them see the, the results of their attitude or actions, but you are not going to get vengeance. You're not going to take it personally. Do not be overcome by anger. Overcome anger with good. See, in every relationship, in all these different ways, we need to continue to stand in the holy presence of God, remembering his justice and his goodness, that he's going to use all things for our good. See, out of all of our emotions that we've talked about in this series, anger is the most dangerous. There's a reason it's described like that with a fire. You know, it can help us identify that something is wrong, but if we use it to motivate in our lives, we will burn our house down. And even worse, we'll destroy our faith. And so let's continue to gather in the holy presence of God where he forgives us. We're reminded of his justice, that he is in control, that he's going to use all things for our good. Where he's going to bring about justice, where there has been wrong, then people have not repented or turned to him, that God is still in control. Do not be overcome by anger. Overcome anger with good. Extinguish your anger and the holiness and goodness and the love of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of our emotions, the joy, even the, the sadness, the, the ability to, to, to experience life and all the array of our emotions. They're all a gift of God. But Lord God, this emotion, anger, can so easily get out of control and be a motivating force in our lives. Lord God, forgive us for all of our sins. Forgive us for the times we've let anger blind us from your goodness and blind us from your justice. And we've taken things personally. Lord God, let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.